Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Pastor Wayne Clark retired earlier in the year, and he was available. And I just, you know, I, you maybe remember Pastor Wayne from our, uh, in October, he came and preached our Pastor Appreciation uh, Sunday and did such a wonderful job. But I'll tell you, this guy, he, is, uh, he has a passion for missions like very few pastors that I know, which is why I was so excited that he was able to come, he and his wife, Judy. Uh, for 21 years, he pastored First Assembly of God here in San Antonio, Uh, which was one of the top missions-giving churches, not just in South Texas, but in the nation. And I mean, he has a heart for missions and uh, has made a a difference in our world. And so we're just so pleased that, Pastor Wayne, you were able to come and share with us once again. Let's welcome this morning, Pastor Wayne Clark. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Doug. Janet and this entire fellowship for this incredible opportunity to be here today. Uh, Missions, I have been accused a number of times that if somebody cut you and you bled, you would bleed little M's. And that's, that's, I'm not too sure that's not true. Uh, But it's been a lifelong thing with us. My, My father was a pastor, great missions pastor, grew up knowing missionaries and, um, It's just been something that the Word of God has planted deep in my heart and the confirmation of the experiences and what the Word says has truly, truly been something that has marked our ministry. My wife is with us. She's a missionary, actually. She's a chaplain downtown and works with victims of domestic violence. Just recently, there's so many women that are coming in to the Family Justice Center this time of the year, sometimes they escape with only the clothes on their back. Sometimes they escape and their children have nothing. And in the wintertime, that's devastating. And she began to give clothing to some of these children that had nothing, blankets. And eventually, the Justice Center get them to places, but in the meantime, they had nothing. And she put a little message out on Facebook. People responded. It's just been amazing as she turned into a, a clothing distributor. We were talking to Lee and Jesse. Uh, that's some of the, Lee and Jesse are some of the greatest people in the whole wide world. They just don't come any better. Known them a long time. In fact, Lee was on our church staff. She was our children's pastor at First Assembly for a while. And uh, they were gigging us a little bit about how many grandkids we had, and we we have four kids, but we're up to 16 grandkids, and now our second great-grandchild is on the way. So that's pretty good, unless you have to buy Christmas presents. You know, that that makes it tough. But a friend of ours actually saw us one time and said, hey, look, you guys, the, the Bible's very clear. Mankind is supposed to be fruitful and multiply, Right? Then they looked at us and said, but God didn't intend you and Judy to do it all. (laughs) So, oh, what a joy. What a joy to be here. And thank you for this opportunity. I'm I'm just, um, missions is so vitally, vitally important to the church. The evangelical church in America 
is declining. It's not growing anymore. The assemblies of God is still growing. Hello? It's one of only two groups of people that are evangelical in this country that are posting growth. And we're number one. And I don't mean that uh, to, to brag, but I am telling you, I am convinced the reason that is true is because of our incredible emphasis on missions. And this gospel is being preached. We have an incredible team of missionaries with our uh, Missionary associates now, we have well over 3,000 missionaries on the field, and, uh, and it's growing. A lot of that is the fault of Caiapha. Those guys were killing us. At first assembly, we had this little thing that every time a new missionary in South Texas got their appointment, we would take them on and support them when they got the appointment. They didn't have to come to the church. And that was great when there were only one or two a year. And then Chi Alpha. I mean, they're, they're sending them all over the world. And I, I, I called Johnny and I said, stop it. You're killing us, you know. <laughs> so um, and we'd tell them, don't come. You just go to our church. You get out in churches, raise your budget, and then get on the field. But when you come back the first time, we want to hear. We want you to be one of the first places you come and let us know what God is doing on the field. It's just it's so exciting uh, to be a part of this. So, catch this. You ready? How many of you really want to be close to God? I want to be as close as I can to God. But I can tell you, you cannot get close to God without feeling His heart. For a broken world. I'm sorry, you, you, you cannot. If you don't have a passion and feel the heart of God for a lost and broken world, that means there's too much distance between you and God. Okay? So today, I'm not going to give you anything that's theologically deep. Uh, in fact, I probably will not say anything biblically that you don't already know. Okay? But sometimes the problem is we get too accustomed to what we know and we forget how important it is. So we're just going to look this. I love what you have done. Uh, Kenton Moody is a great friend. We, we've done actually two Convoy of Hopes with him before he went on to the field. We did one here in 1998 and then we did one in the Dominican Republic. Uh, when we went and built two churches there and then did a convoy of hope at the same time. Uh, that, was, that was quite an experience. And then, uh, Johnny Houck, uh, uh, thank you for your, your investment into he and uh, Mary. They are just, they're doing something that is unbelievable. And I tell you, South Texas has the attention of the, our entire denomination, our entire the entire country, because of what's happening here in our Chi Alpha ministry. In fact, and, and I, I, I have not substantiated this lately, but South Texas, we were, we were, 20 years ago, we were at the bottom in regard to sending missionaries. In fact, 20 years ago, we had less missionaries on the field than we did 10 years prior to that. 
Now, we are the number one missionary sending district in the United States. Isn't that cool? But that just means that our churches, they have to raise support. They have to get out there. That means that we have a part of that to bear as well. I want to read to you some scripture. And um, this found in Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read from the NIV for a very specific reason uh, because of how it captures the first few words of verse 18. But you can follow with me. We'll show you on the visual wall here. Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. He's talking about being imprisoned in Rome. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. D did you catch that? Paul is saying, here I am, I'm in Rome. He did want to go to Rome, but he didn't necessarily think he was going to go the way he finally went. He wanted to go to Rome and be with the church there, preach a while, take some missions offerings, and then have them send him to Spain where he could preach the gospel where it had not been preached before. However, he wound up in prison, shipped to Rome because he had appealed to Caesar for his case. And now he's in prison there. And he says that there are some who are preaching Christ because they don't like me. And I'm here because of that. And it's stirring up trouble and they keep on preaching it. And they're doing it to keep me in chains. That's terrible. He said, there's others out there, they're preaching and they're doing it right, it's out of love. And then he says this, verse 18, but what does it matter? Wow, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Wow. What does it matter? And Paul was saying, what really matters, what really matters is that Christ is being preached. The gospel is being presented. That's a powerful statement because he's actually saying that some of these guys are saying the right things, but their motives are wrong. But even so, it's going to have an impact. I don't understand that. That's the power of the gospel. And it matters. What does it matter? It matters. I believe you and I can ask two very simple questions. Does it matter? And what are my opportunities? Does it matter? And what are my opportunities? Thank God we are part of the Assemblies of God and a progressive church. We are posting games. In fact, four of the fastest, ten growing, the ten of the 
four of the ten fastest growing churches in America are AG. Four of them. Most of the others are independent churches that are just stealing everybody else's sheep. Sometimes church growth is not kingdom growth. Just wanted to toss that out. There are a lot of great independent churches, and we're part of the kingdom of God, not just the assemblies of God is not the kingdom of God. We are a part of the kingdom of God, and we need to make sure we keep that straight. Amen. But one of the problems we have is that although we're growing, the vast majority of our churches are either plateaued or declining. It is a small percentage of fast-growing churches and our Hispanic districts that are keeping us in the positive. Well, why have churches plateaued and why are they declining? It's simply this. The things that should matter to them no longer matter to them in the right ways. And they are not, they are not truly taking advantage of the opportunities that they have. And they have evolved and they have grown into something where where they have become a self-sustained group of people, usually that it's very hard to break into, and they feel like what they are doing the way they used to do it 30 years ago is still the right thing to be doing. And it's so sad. The gospel doesn't change. The word of God doesn't change. Sometimes the way that we propagate that gospel and share it is going to adjust and grow over time. And so what what should matter doesn't matter the way that it should matter to them. Make sense? That's the real bottom line for all of us. Does it really matter? How do we prioritize our life? It's by what matters most to us. Parents often develop serious personal problems like ticks and other things, trying to get their teenagers to understand what really matters. I've heard that at some point, it's often true that at somewhere around 12 or 13, a human being exits the human race. And then somewhere around 19, 20, 21, that they return. Here's another question to ask. Why isn't everybody in the world saved? Uh, There's a lot of reasons here, but there are two primary reasons. Number one, they haven't heard. And number two, they have heard and it doesn't matter. Because the God of this world has blinded their eyes and they have chosen not to allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to penetrate their heart And it doesn't matter to them. And it's not, excuse me, because sometimes we have forgotten that there are certain subjects the Bible teaches that Jesus taught us 
that were very real and that should motivate us. But there's a lot of people that it's not going to matter to them all the way to hell. I hope that doesn't make you nervous to talk about hell. It is real. The gospel is still the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. One of the reasons I love missions, you get to go places sometimes where they haven't heard. And the gospel is still powerful. Some of the missionaries that we're sending out here, you would not believe how many college students have not heard the gospel. And they're right here in our own country. I was in Madras, India one time. I was in India for five weeks teaching uh, in, in local churches on, on small groups and other things, but preaching on Sundays. Just in the Sunday services, well, actually there were some weekday things, but just in those services where I got to preach, I saw in, in those services over 2,200 people accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And I wasn't there for evangelism. David Mohan, pastor of New Life in Madras, I went three days with him into three locations in Madras. And one of them, we get on the bus, and he's got his, his driver's name was Monium, and he says to me, now, Brother Clark, we're going to a place that's pretty dangerous. And I said, oh, how's that? He said, well, we've tried to get in there for two, three, four times, you know, but every time there's an uprising and they get physical. I said, what, what do you mean physical? Oh, they throw bricks and things like that. I said, well, what do you do? He said, well, you should duck. But he said, we, we've done something different. We've got one of our pastors living there now. We bought a house. And we put him in there. And we're going, and we put all these advertisements up with your picture on it. And then the way they advertise something is that they take these photographs, these big posters, and they put 30 of them in a row on a wall on a street corner. And we're driving along, going, and I looked out the window, and there's my picture 30 times. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm in there as a teacher and not as a preacher, but it's, and we finally park about three blocks, and we walk to this house. They have a band, Pastor Doug. You, you, you would love this, van, this band, a tambourine and a bongo. And they were playing and singing when we walked up. And we walked in there. This house had a, a small living room and a couple bedrooms that you could see. And, and it was completely full of people. They couldn't sit down. They stood up. They were jammed in there. And I couldn't believe it. And so they sang a song. The people sat there and they just stared. And finally, David introduced me and he's interpreting. God gave me a message on the spot. I love it when the Holy Spirit does that. It was a message about some people in a book called the Bible that had a religion that didn't work. I didn't say a word about Hinduism. I talked about Pharisees. 
and why their religion didn't work. It didn't say anything about their religion, but it all transferred. When I gave the altar call, now here's, there was about 150 people sitting in this little standing, in this little area. They stood the whole time. And they're just standing there listening. And in this other room, it's jammed the same way. What we didn't realize is there was another group of about 300 people that were outside. And finally, we gave the altar call. And when David, I gave it, he interpreted. And he said, if you would like to receive and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, please lift your hand. Every single person in that building lifted their hand. Every one of them. And then there was, in the window, there was an elderly gentleman. And I, I can't tell you how old he was. All I know is he, was, he looked old. That's just kind of like, you've got to be careful about how you live, right? You ever known somebody that was, looked older than they were? Yeah. I heard about a guy who's on the street reporter. And he says, here comes this. Oh, here comes a really old guy. I'm, I'm going to stop him talking to him. He said, hello, sir. How are you? He said, well, I'm, I'm fine. He said, wow, it's good to see you out and about. Yeah, I try to, to stay out a little bit. He said, well, well what's your secret? I mean, there's got to be a secret to, to how you've been able to do this and be so old. And he said, yeah, it's um, wine, women, and song, party, party, party. And the guy said, well, I, I thought that would make you old. He said, no, it's pretty good for me. He said, well, wow. Well, how old are you? 39. I don't know how old this guy was. But he had his head in the window and he was screaming to the top of his voice in Tamil. And David was trying to calm him down because he was still trying to. Finally, he said something to him and the guy calmed down. Then we asked if anybody wanted to be healed. Now, I wish I could tell you the number of miracles that I saw with my eyes. Brand new believers. And then, they have a tradition there. David said, sit down, I'm going to talk to him a little bit. And so I sit down, and a guy hands me a Coke in a bottle that was warm. No ice, with a straw in it. And I said, David. What am I supposed to do with this? Well, I suppose you should drink it. And so I'm sitting there sipping on a Coke while he's talking to him. What he was doing was telling them about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. In too many of our Assemblies of God churches, the fullness of the Spirit is no longer, no longer matters the way that it should. And if we're going to be what God has called us to be, ladies and gentlemen, we have to have the fullness of His Spirit. Hello? Anyway, and so He told them. And all of a sudden, I see all of these Hindu people with their hands in the air. And they all begin to speak in tongues. Almost all of them. <laughs> My hair was standing up. I had the Coke bottle. I think that the Coke began to boil. I could not believe what I was experiencing. 
And on the way out, I asked him, I said, David, what was the old guy in the window saying? He said, he was yelling at me. Please, please, just because I'm not inside, don't keep this Jesus from me. I want this Jesus. Please don't keep. He said he was just yelling to the top of his voice. And finally, David said something to him that it's okay. You can have him. Oh, God, for that kind of hunger. But I'm telling you, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. And it still works. That's one of the biggest reasons that you and I are supportive to missions. I'm supposed to be finished at 12? No, yeah, no. Your pastor and I serve on the board of Teen Challenge of Texas. And um, one of our privileges is to understand how many of these people who, who come there hopeless or on the precipice of hopelessness, thinking that there's no hope, no way out for them because they've been into many other rehab programs, they've been in jail, and they finally come to TC because a family member's dropped them off. It's their last-ditch effort, but they, they really don't know that it's going to work. They're confused about life, and they feel for them there's no way out. That's, that's almost across the board as the students come. One of the privileges we had at First Assembly was the new students all attended our church. And many of them actually got saved there. But what a privilege that was. One Sunday after church, can I come down here? Okay, I'm, I, I like to walk. One Sunday after church, a young man came up to me. He's on this side of the church, of our sanctuary. He was standing here, and, and he came up to me. He said, Pastor Clark, I need you to pray for me. And I said, okay, what are we going to pray about? He said, well, I've been at TC now for a while, and all of a sudden I'm realizing the things that should be important to me haven't been important to me. The things that didn't matter before now matter to me. He said, I don't know what to do because I feel like God has changed me and I am changing so much. But my wife is divorcing me. There's restraining orders against me. I can't see my children and my parents have basically disowned me. They don't want to talk to me anymore. They don't want me around. And all of a sudden I realize that's what's important. That's what matters. And he said, I did it myself. I did it myself. It's my fault. But if God is the God that you say, can he help me? And so I prayed with him. Eight months later, after church, same location, he comes up to me. He says, Pastor Clark, do you remember me? To be honest, at first, I didn't. But there, there's a lot of them, you know, and, and I said, Teen Challenge, right? Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You prayed with me. I told you that my, my, my wife is divorcing me. I can't see my kids and my parents are disown, have disowned me. I said, oh, yes, I, I remember. And I did. I remember then. And he said, well, and he stepped aside. This is my wife. 
These are my children. And these are my parents. And with tears running down their faces, the father looked at me and said to me, he said, we don't understand. He is a different person. What have you done to him? And I said, we didn't do anything. This church didn't do anything. TC is an incredible ministry. But it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has made the difference in his life. And now, what didn't matter before matters to him. And he was taking advantage of the opportunities that he had. Does it matter? And what are my opportunities? Wow. It's one of the reasons we love TC. It's why, we, why we're involved in that ministry. And we hear that. That is not an isolated thing. That happens a lot. What truly matters? I'm going to tell you, said all that to tell you, and that's missions, isn't it? TC is one of the greatest home missions ministries we have. But I'm telling you, missions matters. It matters to God. And if you're close to God, it will matter to you. Pastor Janet was telling us your response to the Moody's and, and to the missionaries that have been here. That, that, that to me is an expression of the intimacy this congregation has with the Lord. These are tough days. And we have, we have to be sure that what should matter to us continues to matter. Because I'm going to tell you, one of the biggest things going on right now among Christians is the enemy is slowly but surely, it's almost like Chinese water torture, endeavoring to change what matters to us. And that's a battle. That's a real battle. And we have to, missions must maintain. It must have that place of priority in our lives and in our hearts. It has to matter, and then we need to take advantage of every opportunity that we have. Both Paul and Peter said that. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of it. That's why we do our best. I want to tell you, I told you I wouldn't tell you anything that you didn't already know. But sometimes we just need to be reminded and encouraged to continue. We were, um, we were overseas. We'd been asked to do the missions convention for one of the greatest churches in the world, as far as I'm concerned, Trinity Christian Center in Singapore. Judy and I have had a very long-term relationship with them. The pastor is the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God of Singapore, and now the General Secretary of the Worldwide Assemblies of God. His name is Dominic Yao. He's brought us over a number of times to do special things. So we came to do the missions convention. Now, they always have things figured out. They're, they're serious. They're, they're, they're smart. Singapore has more millionaires per capita than any country in the world. It's an, if you've never been there, it is an incredible place. You can eat off the sidewalk. If you drop a piece of trash, it's a $500 fine. 
If you get caught with drugs, you're dead. I'm serious. And the strangest thing, they don't have a drug problem. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So I get, we get there and, and, and we meet with Dominic and, and the, the church has 28 services every weekend. And they do it in eight languages. Different locations in, in their building. Eight languages. And I said to him, Dominic, what's your goal? Because they always have these goals. So we're going to do faith promises. This would be a good goal for you to set. Are you ready? He said to me, our goal is $10 million. I said, $10 million? Are you sure not 10 million marbles, grains of sand? $10 million? He said, yep, 10 million. He said, how did you set that? He said, well, we've never got 10 million before. I said, Dominic, if I tried something like that in the States, I'd be looking for another church to pastor. He said, no, you preach, they'll give. And listen, I said to him, you figured this out. You know what it means. So what does this mean? He said, oh, it just... Every one of our wage earners is going to have to give an, an amount equal to one month of their salary this year. I said, what? Don't they already tithe and aren't they already giving to their, your building? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I got to tell you, my faith went, but I had enough faith to preach. Sometimes we... We don't understand what that faith is all about. It's just a matter of sometimes doing what we know is right because we trust that God is right. Anyway, I preached the, they had two campuses, preached the Saturday night one, then come back into their main sanctuary and that did the two Sunday morning services. That, this, and they totaled everything up. And at the end of that missions convention, they had pledged $13 million. The missions pastor, are, are you ready for this? What time are we done? 10.30? 10.15? Okay. I got 15 minutes. The missions pastor had a daughter named Mary. Mary was a sharp young gal. She was a straight-A student. She was 16 years old. And so after that day, the youth make their own pledges. The, the youth pledged, their youth pledged 270-something thousand dollars. Their children, preteens, pledged $56,000. And their parents are not allowed to give them money. So the missions pastor asks his 16-year-old daughter, Mary, did you make a pledge to missions? She said, well, yes, Dad. So well, how much did you pledge? She said, $3,000. And he said, you What? Yeah, I pledged $3,000. You, 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 you don't have, how are you going to get $3,000? I said, well, Dad, didn't you say if the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you obey and he'll make a way? Yeah, but I meant that for everybody else, not you. And she looked at her father and said, you'll see. I said, what are you going to do? She said, I don't know. But that's what God spoke to my heart, and he's going to make a way. Let me tell you something. In regard to missions, 
We should do the best we have with what we have. But it shouldn't end there. When you're talking about faith promises and giving and other things and going to mission, we need to, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That, that needs to be extended into the realm of faith. How are you going to do that? I'm not sure, but that's... Amen? And so her dad was livid at her. Said, this is, and he said to her, this is going to be embarrassing. My own daughter makes a pledge and she can't pay it and I'm the missions pastor. And she said, that's great faith, dad. You'll see. And he just said, oh. Two weeks later, she was at school. The principal of the school called her in. Straight A student. Brilliant kid. Set her down, said, Mary, we have a problem at our school. I said, what's that? She said, we have a lot of students that need to be tutored, but we don't have any tutors. I have some parents that are lined up that are willing to pay you to tutor their kids. Would you be willing to do that? She said, I need to talk with my parents first. I mean, this kid's a great kid. Talked to her parents. Her parents agreed. She started tutoring. Six months later, when the date came to pay the pledge, she wrote out a check because she opened a checking account. She wrote out a check for $3,000. And when... When she received one of the checks, the first thing she did was pay her tithe. And then she saved the money. And when the time came and she looked at her father and said, I told you. And her dad, the missions pastor, said the greatest lesson I ever learned was from my own daughter. Sometimes we have to realize that our world, listen, when I was born in 1947, there was 2.3 billion people on earth. In my lifetime, we have added 5.2 billion more while I've been alive. There are, there are a minimum of 5 billion people that need Jesus. We have to be on our game. And I believe with all my heart, why God has chosen, why doesn't he just zap everybody? It wouldn't be our choice. What makes your worship to God? Listen, worship should matter. Can I just, can I meddle just a little bit? Is it okay? I don't understand. I used to watch, start service at First Assembly. And, and there was a, hardly anybody there when we started. And they kept coming in and coming in and coming in. Finally, at the end of worship, they're still coming in and the place is full. All that means to me is worship doesn't matter to them. Well, it doesn't matter enough to get there on time. I'm sorry if I stepped on somebody's toe. I don't, I'll, I'll be gone. I don't understand why parents don't have their kids in Christian education. You have one of the best churches in this city. 
in regard to children's ministries. Dear God, why don't you have your kids in it? Make the most of every opportunity. One of the reasons is, for some reason, it doesn't matter the way that it should matter. That's, that's called meddling. <laughs> some people say, no, that was a cheap shot. <laughs> I'd like to tell you other stories. I'll end with one more. God gets involved when we do the best with what we have, and then we extend ourselves into the realm of faith. God works in that kind of atmosphere. Now, next week, when you decide what you're going to do, you need to ask yourself, is this the best that I can do with what I have, and does it extend me into the realm of faith? Hello? This year particular year, we were doing two big missions trips, and we had made pledges to Convoy of Hope and some other things, and it was the most we'd ever done. We're going to have to raise the money for the materials for the missions trips, and, get, and I was kind of wavering a little bit, <laughs> and uh, it came time for the Texas shootout, and we went to Texas shootout is North Texas versus South Texas, and we usually do a fire Bible project and take care of printing the fire Bible in another language. And it's just, it's a great time. We've developed great relationships over the time. At first, it was just competition. Then it developed into some good friendships and relationships with the guys in North Texas. It's still competitive. We are one win ahead of them. Hooah! But I told, I called Roger, and um, I told him, Roger, I, I'm not coming this year. He said, well, you got to come. You're going to be our, our, our A player. I said, I'm not coming. He said, why? He said, we're overcommitted in missions, and I don't want to come there and stay free in a hotel and then not be able to participate. I've, I've over-obligated the church. God's going to help us, but I'm not coming. He said, you have to come. I've already got you down. I said, I'm not coming. He said, yes, you are. So I said, oh, but I can't, we can't. He said, no, just come. You know, the Holy Spirit is sneaky. So we went, played the first day, and then that night we had the big meeting where we're going to do the fundraising, and we had a great speaker, and then it came time. This year wasn't a fire Bible. This year we were doing the, remember those packets for the, uh, Pakistan, for the Pakistani kids, and that we were the Chinese Christians that were going into Pakistan and doing Sunday schools. For a puppet, they used a bag, a paper bag. They had straws with little people on it. They just they didn't have anything to work with, but they would cross over, taking their lives in their own hand, trying to teach these young children in Pakistan and get them to a relationship with Jesus Christ so they wouldn't become part of the Taliban. But they had nothing to work with. So for $760 you could buy, you could purchase for one of these Chinese missionaries, an entire packet that had flannel boards and had a little machine, you crank it, and it had songs in the Pakistani language, Sunday school songs. We just had all kinds of stuff in there. And so we're sitting there, and I'm, I'm saying to God, 
I told you, we're over, and, and I'm not going to do this. And the Holy Spirit says, you need to do something. Ah, okay, I will pledge one kit, $760. Done. That's not enough. Okay, two kits. No, not enough. I can't do this. The church is out. What? And so I said, okay. $5,000. There, are you happy? No, that's not enough. Do you not understand what we're obligated to? You know, sometimes we have to trust God even though we can't see with our human eyes and minds down the path. He can. And he said, more. And I said, I can't. $10,000. I'm going to get fired. No, not enough. What do you want from us? More. And so finally I said, what if we buy 25 kits? And I got that feeling of confirmation and affirmation from God. And I figured, that's $19,000. How in the world am I going to tell our congregation that as a pastor I've made a pledge for $19,000? They're going to tell me, pay it yourself. Pastors are always good at committing their people to give. So I told the congregation. I couldn't believe how excited they were. Families were taking on a kit. Sunday school classes were taking on a kit. Royal Rangers took on a kit. I mean, everybody, they're, they're, they're excited. And I said, well, I, you, you, but you realize there's another $40,000 out here above everything else. And our missions pledges already totaled $300,000 just in our support. And so I'm, they're going to give to this and then we're not going to get the other money. Great faith. The day came and we took the offering. And the other thing is so many pastors and so many people are afraid that if we give to missions, it's going to hurt our general fund and we won't be able to pay our bills. No, 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 no. A thousand times no. It's the other way around. The more you give to missions, the more you're going to get in your general fund. Don't, tell me, don't ask me how that works. It's just a spiritual principle that is true. And so that day came, and we took the offering, and we didn't get 19000 we got 23000 And that was, at that point, the largest single missions offering we'd ever taken. And I thought, wow, Lord, please help us to pay our bills this. That same Sunday, our general fund offering was the largest general fund offering in the history of the church. In fact, our deposit was over $100,000. And so church is over. And now I'm still wondering, how in the world am I going to pay these other things? How are we going to raise this money? A businessman came up to me. He's from uh, Netherlands. Strong accent. Real pastor. 
how much is all that other money that we have to get? And I said, well, it's, it's about $40,000. He said, okay. And he wrote out a check for $40,000. And I went back. I went back to sitting at that table telling the Holy Spirit that one kit was enough. Two kit, no, that's plenty. No, that's more than we can afford. It just, when we live, when we do the best with what we have, and we extend into the realm of faith and trust God, it is amazing what God can do in that atmosphere. Next Sunday, as you, I'd love to tell you some other stories. I've got gazillions of them. I'd like to tell you how God gave our church a million bucks. Just gave it to us. For a piece of land we were trying to sell, we couldn't get anybody to give us any kind of a bite on it for $200,000. Finally, the Christian realtor, her name was Kathy Clark, no relation to us. She helped us get our home. She attends Cornerstone. She called and said, what are you doing with that land? I said, we're trying to sell it, but no one's interested. We haven't even got a call on it. She said, why don't you let me try? And I said, okay, what are you going to do? She said, well, how much have you had it on for? 200000 I said, okay, so what will you do? She said, I'm going to put it on for 300000 She said, Kathy, we can't even get anybody to look at it. There was all kinds of problems with the land. Good location. Five acres of the 13 acres was full of boulders, as big as Volkswagen, sometimes 25 feet deep. And you couldn't crush it because it was between some apartments and a very exclusive housing area. It would, just, it would, it would cost over a half million dollars just to get that stuff out. And so she said, well, I said, well, what are you going to do? And she said, pray. She called me a week later. I've got an offer for $300,000. So you've got to be kidding me. She said, nope. And then they went and saw the fill in the middle of the land, the five acres of the boulders, and they backed out. She called and said, well, they backed out. I said, well, what now? I said, I'm going to put it on for $400,000. So Kathy, you've you got to be kidding me. Nope. Called me a couple weeks later. Got an offer, $400,000. They found out the boulders were there. They backed out. I said, what now? $500,000. Same thing. $750,000. I'm saying, you're crazy. She gets, she gets a, an offer. They back out. And then she calls me and says, and I said, what now? She said, I'm going to put it on for a million bucks. I mean, the location is great. I said, Kathy, you, she called me like three weeks later. Hey, we've got an offer, but the guy wants to meet with you. The guy came in and sat down, and he brought his business partner, his lawyer. We had Kathy and our, our church treasurer, Steve Legrone, and, and we're sitting there, and he says, I, I just need to ask you a few things. And I said, before you start, are you aware that five acres of that land has boulders the size of Volkswagens on it and some places 25 feet deep? He said, oh, yes, that, that's what's intriguing to us because we're going to put high-end condominiums on there, and we're going to turn that area into one of the nicest parks in San Antonio. But I'm not going to offer you a million dollars. It almost came out, and I think I caught it right about there. <clears throat> Will you give us 200000 <laughs> You know. 
But he said, I will offer you $960,000 cash. Uh, okay. It had cost us all kinds of money over the years to try to, to deal with this land. Some other people tried to sell it. It was just a mess. Earlier, about seven years earlier, we had started tithing to missions out of our general fund. I don't recommend that to every church, but I've, I've always felt for our churches that if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander, right? So we tithe into missions. And after we paid all the debt, and all that we paid all the back stuff that we owed, and it was a, it was quite a bit of money, we wound up with nine hundred or with six hundred and eighty thousand dollars profit. We owed four hundred thousand dollars on the whole church. We paid everything off, and then that figure seemed real strange to me. And I went back and I added up all the money that we had tithed out of in our general fund for missions from when we started. And to the dollar, the same amount of the profit of the sale of that land. Is that cool? Missions. We're giving to missions. And God loves missions. In fact, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I've been to 63 countries in the world now, almost all with missions. I can't believe all the things that Judy and I have been privileged to experience. But the one thing I know is God loves every single individual on the face of the earth. He's counted the hairs on their head, and he loves them. And he said to us, go. When you get an opportunity to go on a trip, you say, I can't afford it. Hello, where's the faith? If you believe, it'll come. I believe that. And next week, when you decide what you're going to give with faith promises, I hope and pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that it will truly be the best that you can do with what you have and then be extended into the realm of faith. And you watch what God does. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com Connect with us on Facebook or call us at 210-657-3578.